Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. The culture around us has been rapidly changing, if you haven't noticed. Rapidly changing. I mean, just this last decade, if you just think about from 2010 to 2020, we have had a massive culture shift just in the last decade. From the heightened use of social media to the way people connect has changed. The, the business world, if you've been around the business world at all, it has rapidly changed. Very quickly, technology has changed the way we connect to people, the methods, how quickly, how, how much distance, doesn't matter how far I am from someone, all of that has changed. I can now communicate with someone on a consistent basis, face-to-face, now via a screen, but still face-to-face at any time and anywhere in a moment's notice. Uh, on my phone that I carry around, right? I don't have to be sitting at a desk somewhere. The, the, the world and the culture around us has shifted rather rapidly. The second question, because I think we all can acknowledge that, is has the church changed to match our culture, to shift with our culture, to reach people where they are? And I think if we're honest about the church, we would say no. The church has not changed at all. We may have changed some music, hoping that that would attract a different group of people potentially or appeal to a younger generation. But the model of the church, the model of the church has not changed at all. The churches of today still structure themselves and still are on the same structural mission as the churches of 10 years ago, as the churches of 50 years ago, as the churches of 100 years ago. And yet we know our culture has rapidly changed. People connect differently than they ever have before. If you haven't noticed, the younger generation doesn't go to the club, the bar, to church, to meet people anymore. They swipe right. And that's a massive change in how people connect and communicate. And yet, the church has kind of dug its heels in and said, no, we're going to keep doing things the same way we've always done them even though we know our entire culture has shifted. If you haven't paid attention to the rapid nature of how quickly millennial businesses have gotten off the ground in the last five to ten years, then you just haven't been paying attention. We can all name them. Airbnb, VRBO. They've changed the entire marketplace of hotels and vacations. Grubhub. We can all name these companies that have come out of nowhere and have changed how we order food, Uber, how we get a ride. We have completely seen a culture shift, and yet the church has said, no, I think we'll we'll keep it the same. I heard a, a pastor friend of mine say, the church is the only organization in America that could take an 80% loss for the entire last generation and sit back and say, no, we're good. We're not going to change anything. 
Because if you didn't know, that's what's happened. For an entire generation, we've lost 80% consistently of our young people, year after year. 80%, and it's something like maybe 20% come back when they have kids. That's what people always say, well, they have kids, they'll come back. No, that's not true. It hasn't been true for an entire generation. And yet, we're the only organization that says, I'm good with an 80% loss. I'll just sit back, keep seeing if this thing will work out. <laughs> maybe it'll turn around at some point. Why? Why would we be the only group of people in a rapidly changing culture that says, now we're not going to change how things are done? It's not that we want to change who we are. That should never change. The people of God and who they are should never change. But why should a model never change? The model has changed multiple times, all over the place. The model always is changing. And yet, for some reason, the church in America has dug its heels in. You know, Barna, which is the leading research group for Christian organizations, Barna has a statistic that, and they've researched hundreds of thousands of people. 50% of the people in America say, I have no interest in ever walking in a church building. How are we going to reach those people if our model is centered around getting people to show up to a church building. How are we going to reach people who say, the building is why I have no interest in your Jesus? But it's not that I have no interest in your Jesus. It's I have no interest in your building. The model of the American church today, I think we can all agree, is the same model that really has been around since the Roman Empire, funny enough. And it's a model of getting people in to a building and in to a space rather than getting people out to where the people are. It's an interesting model that only works when a culture is either forced to be okay with Christianity as the dominant religion, i.e. the Roman Empire, or the culture is okay with Christianity. But when the general culture decides it is no longer just willingly accepting of Christianity, a model that says, hey, come join us in our building that is Christian, does not work. And we know this to be true if you've ever met anyone, talked to anyone, or been overseas on a mission trip to a country that is not accepting of Christianity as a major religion. Any missionary that goes into another country that says, we're not interested in your Christianity, knows that they cannot do a model that says, come to me, because no one will ever come. <laughs> They'll never show up. If you, as a Christian, if God took you, implanted you into an all-Muslim nation and said, go and reach these people, and you decided the way you were going to reach them was the way we try to reach people in America, by sending out postcards or setting up signs and having a space and then inviting them to come to that space, you would never have anyone ever show up, ever. They just wouldn't do it. And it's not that they necessarily don't want to know about the Jesus you have to offer. It's that they are not interested in coming to something. They're not interested in showing up to your space. 
because you have yet to show up to their space. And the irony is that Jesus models for us the very ministry he desires for us to live out. A ministry that goes to people and is where they are and is based on sentness. Sentness. And so this morning, as we look to Jesus, we will look towards a model that is not a model that says we have these insiders and we have these outsiders, or we're trying to behavior modify people, which means trying to get them to show up somewhere on Sunday all the time, you know, trying to train them to come to the same place all the time Sunday. We're going to have a model in, in the way of Jesus that says we are trying to point people towards Jesus and we're trying to redirect their purposes in life. And that will then take care of all the other things we've so, for so long been worried about with the behavior modification and all these other things. As people's direction and orientation change, God begins to transform their behavior and who they are. But if their direction has not changed, we're not going to be able to modify anything about their behavior. If you didn't know this, everyone is somewhere in relationship to Jesus. That's a profound statement, isn't it? Everyone is somewhere in relationship to Jesus. Our concern isn't where they are. Our concern is are they pointed to Jesus or not. You know, Jesus had the harshest words for those who would have considered themselves closest to God. But he would say they were actually facing away from God. They might have been closest to him. They were in. But they were not facing towards him. They were facing away from him. And he had the most grace and the most mercy towards those that would have considered them furthest away from God. And yet, were facing towards him and headed towards him. Instead of thinking about church as this organization like it's a building where we're trying to get people into, we have to begin to think about ourselves, the church, the people of God, as if it's this spiral. And we're all in a different place in relation to how close we feel to God at any given moment, probably. Some of us fluctuate more than others. But that isn't the point. It's the direction we're facing. Even if we feel ourselves far from God, if we're facing towards Him and headed towards Him and our purposes are towards Him, we are on a path that is much more Christ-like than someone who may consider themselves close to God and yet are walking away from Him and facing towards the world. If we will shift the way we conceptualize the model of the people of God, and we will live in our sentness, just as Jesus did, we will find ourselves reaching the people he's calling us to reach. We are sent. This is the first truth of God's battle plan for his people. That we would become the missionaries of God, the sent people of God, to the world. God's plan for us we see play out in the book of Acts. And in this first week, we will look at the, the book 
the, the chapter of Acts, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. As Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, he, he shares one last truth with them about their mission that he has, has left for them to make disciples. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Well, I'm going to start in 6, even though 7 and 8 will only be on the screen, because they ask a question and he replies to it. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Right, they were wondering, Jesus, are you, is it now? You've rose again, so now are you going to take over the Romans? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And this is what he says. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as Jesus spoke to his disciples, you would speak to us this morning about the power of your Holy Spirit to inhabit us, to live within us, and then to work through us to make us like Jesus to this world. That we would see ourselves the way you see us as missionaries to those around us, to our families, to our community. As those sent to care for their souls, as those sent out that we might be the very hands and feet of Jesus, that people might experience your love, come to know you, and be transformed. And that our goal would not be to get people into church, but to be the church right where people are. That we would meet people where they are just as you did. Just as you sat at a well with a woman. Just as you went and visited a tax collector at his home. Just as you mingled with those that later you would be accused of behaving like, even though you didn't. That we would become more and more the image of Jesus to this world. That they would see a Jesus who died and rose again and conquered death in the way that we live out our faith. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So we are sent. Say that with me this morning. We are sent. Say it one more time. We are sent. We are sent. This is the first and most important truth of the mission of God, the battle plan of God for the souls of humanity. You know, John shares the, 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 this truth in this way. It's Jesus talking to his disciples at the very end, at the end of John's gospel, and he says, just as the Father has sent. And the word here, sent, in Greek, is the word apostello. Apostello, which we will talk about in two weeks from now, and ends up getting translated as apostle. And in English, it means, in Latin, it gets translated as missio, and in English, it becomes mission. Mission. And when we think about mission, in the church, we think about missionaries, but in the world, we think about military missions. That's how the world thinks about mission, and that's how the word was used here. It was military language. Jesus never hesitated to talk about 
the kingdom of God. Not the, not the non-profit of God. <laughs> you know, we've kind, of, we've kind of muted the language of the Bible a lot of the times in the church to make it a little more palpable for a culture that we think needs it to be more palpable. But what the culture needs for us to be is truthful with them. And there's a war raging around us for the souls of humanity. And God gave us a kingdom, a kingdom and a battle plan in order to wage that war. He didn't give us a nice little packaged organization in which to invite people to be a part of. He gave us a a battle plan, a mission, a mission to go after the souls of those around us just as he came after our souls, right? He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. It's in the very nature of God that we find our marching orders. The early church gets into this entire debate around sentness, and it actually ends up dividing the church. But it's around this language, because the scripture says this. It says, the Father sends the Son, and the Father and the Son send the Spirit. And there's this whole debate in the early church around this order of the Godhead. They're trying to figure it all out. So how does that work? How does God send himself? None of this makes sense. And we can't make sense of it all. Because the purpose of that language was not to teach us something about how the Godhead functions. It was to teach us something about the very nature of God. That God is a sending God. That he's a God of action, and he's a God of coming to people, not waiting on them to get to him. Because if God waited on humanity to get to him, it would have never happened. It would have never happened. He had to come to us, and so he did. You know this happened right away in the Garden of Eden. I don't know why we're so confused by this most of the time in today's culture. Adam and Eve do the one thing God says don't do because he knows the ramifications of what it will cause, the rift it will cause. They do it. And does he wait for them to come to him? No, he goes looking for them. Isn't that funny? As if he didn't know where they were. He comes walking into the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? God goes and seeks them out immediately. Immediately God goes and seeks them out in the story of Scripture. It is no different in the bigger story of Scripture, the redemption narrative of Scripture, the salvation story of Scripture, that God would send his very son to us to start a war against the evil of this world. And then as his son ascends in this passage that we read, his son will ascend to return back to him, they send the Spirit to wage war against the spirits of this world. And they know, God knows, that in order for us to carry out the mission, the battle plan that he had for us, we needed his very presence to fight. We needed the very presence of God within us to fight. And thus he tells his disciples, wait, wait until the very power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then be my witnesses. The word there, witness, is marturos, which means martyr. Be my martyrs. Lay your life down, just as I was sent to lay my life down. Now you are sent to lay your life down by the very power of the Holy Spirit within you 
that you might then transform the world, change the world, redeem the world, save the world. He's doing the work. God's doing the work, but he's doing it through us as we are on mission with him. We are sent. Say that with me. We are sent. We are sent by, by the very God who created us. We are sent. We are sent to our families. We are sent to our friends. We are sent to our co-workers. We are sent to our community. See, you thought you chose all of those things. Maybe except your family because you know you've been born into that and you can't deal with a lot of that. But at least the person you married, the job you chose, the community you live in, you thought you chose all of that. The irony of the scripture is that it teaches us something vastly different. That God chose that for you. And God said, no, I'm choosing this for you because I'm sending you to that person, to that workplace, to that community. As God structures his people in the New Testament, and we'll go through two more weeks of specific structuring, and then the last three weeks of this series, we're going to look at some very specific examples. In fact, we'll have some friends of ours that will be coming from Savannah, a church that you have already helped support, but they haven't even gotten off the ground yet of how they're starting a donut shop and how they're going to be the church in the midst of that donut shop in Savannah. It's an incredible calling that God's placed on their life. They're going to come and share with us in a couple weeks. So for the next two weeks, we're going to look at these very specific instructions of God, and then we're going to look at specific examples. But we're going to also struggle in our own lives with each of these concepts as well, because together we will have to determine, individually and then together as a people, how is God sending me? How is God sending us? If we are going to live out of our sentness, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how does that work itself out? Right? This is why the very first part of our mission statement is seek all people. Seek all people. It's the very first thing. Why is it the very first thing? Because it's the very first thing we're called to do. The gathering of people and, and, and then the like, teaching and the learning of what it means to be like Jesus always comes second. We, for some reason, we've, we've messed that up in the American church and we've made missions or evangelism or seeking people secondary to everything else. It's like the result of a relationship with God. But the irony is it's the very core of a relationship with God. It's the very first of what God does. And we see it time and time again in the Gospels and time and time again in Acts that as God has sought someone out, they experience the presence and the love of Jesus in their life and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Their immediate reaction is to go out and to tell other people and to be Jesus to other people. Their immediate reaction is to go. It's not to stay. So why have we created, or really we haven't created it, we've just perpetuated a model of God's people that attempts to get people in somewhere, to stay somewhere, 
Instead of attempting to get people to be someone, to be Jesus right where they are. The gathering of God's people will still be a part of that. I don't, I don't know if we're afraid that we're just going to all of a sudden not gather anymore, that every, everyone's just going to scatter and no one's going to want to be together anymore. That's laughable. Because that's still going to happen. That part's going to happen. It's a part of what God does. But if we don't go to people, they'll never want to gather. If they don't know Jesus, why would they want to gather in his name? If they haven't experienced healing, if they haven't experienced the very presence of God in their life right where they're at, why are they going to want to go somewhere to experience it? It's not real to them. It hasn't shown up right where they're at. Then why do they think it's just going to show up magically somewhere else? People need to know that God is with them right where they're at. Not that they have to get somewhere to experience God. It's this spiral. Everyone is already in relation to Jesus somewhere. It doesn't matter where they are on that spiral. They're somewhere in relationship to Jesus. It's our mission to go to them and help direct them towards Jesus. And help, help them see Jesus. Sometimes it's that they see Jesus in us first, usually. It's that they see Jesus in us first. And then, then God opens their eyes to see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his love. But it takes us meeting them where they are for them to see Jesus. We are sent. Say that with me again. We are sent. We're missionaries. We need to be always learning our context. We need to be always engaging the people around us. We need to be always guided by the Spirit. Guided by the Spirit that He would lead us to those whom He desires to awaken to His love. Who, who He's already at work in their life and we're just joining in the work that He's doing. We're just directing people to Him. We're just engaging them at the level of their faith.